Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. All of his promises are yes and amen. What a beautiful way to finish our worship time. It's why it's so critically important that you get in God's word. Because until you know and understand and saturate your life with the promises of God, you can't count him and hold him to keep his promises. And much of our life we live uh, outside of experience of the promises of God. And when God says something in his word, it is a promise. You see, God cannot lie and God's word is the inspired word of God. It is infallible, it is inerrant, it is eternal. And so when we get in God's Word, listen, God's Word gets in us. And when God's Word gets in us, it helps us live according to the promises of God. Amen? Amen. Well, I would invite you to turn, your, turn in your Bibles or your device to John chapter 5, the Gospel of John chapter 5, as we trek through this amazing gospel, uh, arguably the greatest book in all the New Testament, because it's written from a firsthand, up close and personal uh, individual who had a, a working relationship with Jesus that was beyond everybody else's. In fact, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, that's a bold statement, and he understood it so much. His walk with Jesus was so good that Jesus allowed him to live a full life upon this earth, allowed him to write a, an amazing gospel separate from the three synoptic or similar gospels, and at the same time, he wrote the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. He's an incredible guy that writes this book, and he gives information that we can learn from. Now, I appreciate Terry and Tim over the last couple weeks covering for me and I'm so excited to be here this morning I told Kendra I said I feel like I need to exercise I need to do some uh, preaching calisthenics uh, to get me going and 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 so the message is fresh uh, God uh, uh, completed the message while I was on the mission field in Africa so just to recap and get us to the text to where we're at we need to get in the story in the narrative so what happened before I left was uh, Jesus had healed a man of 38 years of being crippled. And Jesus sees him laying by the pool. He says, do you want to be well? And the man immediately comes up with excuses. He says, well, you know those other people, they just won't put me in the water. And then he says, you know, every time I start to get in the water, somebody jumps in front of me. They're rude. They won't help me. And Jesus like, I didn't ask you all that. I just want to know, do you want to be well? And so Jesus says, pick up your pallet, that thing that, that has given you identity for so long, that thing that has been carrying you. He says, I want you to pick that thing up, put it on your back, and walk away. He said, I want you to take the thing that has been identifying you, and I want to use it as a testimony of the greatness of what happens when Jesus comes into your life. Now, G now this man that had been crippled, now he's healed, he goes, he can't shut up. He's out there, he's carrying his pallet, and he's talking, and then he runs into the religious people you got to hate when you run into religious people and Jesus is doing something great in your life. You know, they know how to suck the wind out of the party, you know. And so what they do, they say, hey, hey, bro, uh, when did you get healed? Uh, I got healed today. Uh, it's the Sabbath. You know, but you, no healing on the Sabbath. Who told you you could be healed on the Sabbath? They're going to pull the plug on a miracle, you know. And he says, well, uh, I'm just carrying the pallet because the, the guy that healed me said carry my pallet. Well, who, who told you to carry the pallet? He said, well, I, I didn't catch a name. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? You've been crippled 38 years. Now you're healed. You don't know who did it. 
All right? And so he don't know. Well, it goes on, man, they're, they're, the, the, the religious elite are scratching their heads. They don't know what to do with this story because this is not supposed to happen on Sabbath. So Jesus runs into the man he's healed, and he introduces himself. Well, then now the man can't shut up. He's telling everybody that the guy that healed him was Jesus. And let me just pause right here. If Jesus has done anything in your life powerful, like delivering you from your sin curse, like setting you on a path rather than hell to heaven for eternity, uh, like giving you a daily walk with God through him, anything like that, you should be talking about it. If Jesus touches you, changes you, moves you, you should talk about it. And we're going to talk about that today. But often, crickets when it comes to testifying on Jesus' behalf. Now, because of this man's testimony, when he comes back, he said, by the way, I found out who it was. His name's Jesus. Now it says in John chapter 5, verse 16, for this reason, for this testimony and this healing on the Sabbath, the, the Jews persecuted Jesus and they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath, which would have been a Saturday. But Jesus answered them and he said, hey, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews now sought uh, all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, you don't do that, but he also said that God was his father, making him equal with God. Now, let's put this in perspective. Here's a man who hasn't been long on the ministry scene. He was 30 when he, his ministry began, and now his ministry is still in its infancy. And, and, and he encounters uh, these religious people, and they want to scold him for giving a man feet to walk after 38 years of being crippled. Now, it would have been easy for Jesus to get in the flesh, I guess, and to get in the world and say, are you serious? You're busting me for healing a guy? And let, me just be, let me just get real with you. Let's just play a game here. Rock, paper, scissors, I healed a man, you lose. All right? Heads, you lose. Tail, you lose. I healed a man, I win. All right? That's what I would have done. That's why he doesn't give me the power to do that. Because he knows I, wouldn't handle, I couldn't handle it. So what he does is he says, okay... In case you missed the memo, I want to help you understand more about who I am. And he dives in to the reality that he is uh, divine, that he is all God and all man at the same time, that there's a dichotomy there. They're looking at a man, and yet the man they're looking at is all God. Now, I, I say this all the time because I want you to understand, when, when Jesus, when God was incarnate in the flesh, God was all man. And never less God while being all man. And at the same time, Jesus was all God and never less God being all man. He never, he never sacrificed either side of the equation. He was all God, all man. Jesus is and was the God man. And so now they're blistering him about healing on the Sabbath. And now he goes on to, down to verse 19 of chapter 5. He says, so then Jesus now answered them. And he said, listen, most assuredly I'm going to say to you, the son of the, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son. That all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. 
So just when they're getting upset about the Sabbath, he dives into the fact that he is God. He dives into the reality that he is, has divine nature, that he's more than a man. Verse 24, now he says, Most assuredly now I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man verse 26 do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge and make judgment my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So just when they thought they were going to get mad at him, as my little granddaughter Juliana says, uh-oh, it just got worse. He says, well, in case you missed the memo of the testimony from the guy that I gave the ability to walk, let me just make it incredibly, undeniably clear. God and I are one, okay? And there's another part that's going to come later on, and his name's the Holy Spirit. And in case you're wondering, in case you're worrying, I want you to know that I am the Son of God who has come to this earth to save the world. It's like a mic drop. There you go. Do something with it. Okay? He nails it. Now, here's why this is important. Here is a man who has just made a bold statement. Let's put it in perspective. Okay, Caleb is leading our worship with his team right now. Let's just say this morning, Caleb got up to the microphone with his guitar and he says, before we start, I'd like to tell you something. I am the greatest musician and vocalist that God has ever created. And you'd be like, eh. And then after he finished, the pastor, me, I stood up and I said, welcome, so glad, I'm excited, just got back from Africa, I'm glad you're here, you know why? Because you're going to hear the best sermon ever preached from the best preacher who ever lived. And you'd be like, eh, okay. Those are bold statements. They pale in comparison to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm God. That's enormous. I mean, that should rock your world. Now, here's why that's important, church. Because sometimes, even though we've had an encounter with God, and the Holy Spirit, man, has just called us out into his presence, introduced himself to us and said, hey, I'm God. You're not. I love you right where you are. Right how you are, right who you are. But I love you way too much to leave you there. I want to bring you in and put you on a journey that walks with me and experiences me. And I want your life to become all that I designed and purposed and planned your life to be. Not the life that you've been pursuing. And, and, and that's, what, that's what it looks like. That, that, that's the encounter. And, 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 and yet we have that experience. And yet sometimes what we do is we find these moments where the flesh rises up over the spirit and begins to question that reality. Now watch this. If you've ever, as a believer, questioned the existence of God, even after your salvation, questioned, is it all real? Is there really a God out there that's sovereign, that knows everything and controls everything? Is there an omnipotent God, all-powerful? Is there an omniscient God, all-knowing? Is there an omnipresent God everywhere at the same time? Is that real? 
And, and, and if so, is Jesus, did he really come to the earth from God and die in, in, a play, in my place on a cross? And am I really secure and saved? Is my eternal destiny in heaven? If you've ever had doubts like that as a believer, just be honest. God hates a liar, especially in church. If you've ever doubted that stuff, raise your hand. I want you to look around. You're not alone. In fact, those that didn't raise their hand, they're either lost or lying. Because we all do it. Because we have flesh. Our spirit is in a container called flesh. And flesh rises up and battles spirit. They wage war on each other. And this passage, I believe, is given from Jesus. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. And so when you share the good news of Jesus, you'll have more ammunition in your artillery to use against the enemy. Jesus, this isn't the only time Jesus claimed his divine nature. This isn't the only time Jesus said, hey, I'm the one. A, a, a real bold statement is John 14, 6. He said, Jesus, it says, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He didn't stop there. He says, no man comes to the Father except through me. Incredibly powerful statement that he says about himself. You know what he's saying? There's all these other avenues out there that people claim, but there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus. And so he, he is bold about who he is. He says, I am, the, I am the only one. Now let me ask something. What would compel Jesus not to just respond to them and annihilate their foolishness? What, what moves him to be compassionate? What moves him to be patient and temper, uh, uh, have a good temper, uh, not lose his temper? What, what causes him to, to, to address them where they are and, and, and go to the next level in helping the, them understand? Here it is. The motivation is one word, love. You see, Jesus' goal is not to condemn. Jesus' goal is not to judge. Jesus' ultimate goal is not the creation of the world. And yet he was there at creation's door with the Father and the Spirit. Uh, Jesus' ultimate goal is to sustain creation, which he does, the Scripture tells us. Uh, Jesus' ultimate goal is to be in heaven right now, as he said, preparing a place for us. Jesus' ultimate goal is to rescue people from the sin curse. And that is found and wrapped up in one word, and it's called love. In verse 34 of chapter 5, Jesus lets the cat out of the bag. Jesus says, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I even talk. This is why I showed up. This is why I'm having a conversation with you religious idiots. He says in verse 34, I say these things that you might be saved. Isn't that incredible? The motivation of Jesus is so people will be saved. And so sometimes what happens is the truth is, is told in part. These religious leaders were sharing partial truth. And you know, sometimes the first information you get seems true, and you get alarmed by it, you're set back by it, you're like, oh really, that really happened? That's really true? That's really true? And we're hearing half the story. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes in with a witness and shares the rest of the story, and you go, oh, that's not really what I heard before. Have you ever had a situation like that in your life where you believe something, the first witness you heard, you say, oh, wow, oh, I can't believe that, only to find out it wasn't totally true. It was just partial truth, right? Well, that's very real, and, it, and, and, and in Proverbs 18, 17, it addresses it. It says, the first to state his case seems right until his opponent begins to cross-examine him. 
Let me tell you what that looks like in real time. Several years ago, I was at Second Baptist Church, and we were looking for a pianist. And we ran across this guy. He's an incredible pianist, incredible musician. And so we talked to him, and here was his testimony. It was amazing. He said, yeah, he said, I work a secular job, and to provide for my family, I play uh, for bands in bars at night, but I'd really rather not play in bars. I'd really rather just play in a church and do a secular job, provide for my family. So we interviewed him, talked to him a long time, offered him a job. He took the job. Well, in the process of that whole thing, I was at the gym one morning, and there was another uh, a pastor there who I, was, I, would, I thought was a friend. And I told him, I told, he said, how's church? I said, it's going good. I said, yeah, without a pianist, looking for a pianist, talking to this guy. And I told him the story, his testimony, what I just shared with you. He said, oh, what's his name? I told him, he goes, oh, we've talked to the same guy. I, well, he's an incredible musician. End of story. So we hired the guy. About six months goes by. And the pianist comes to me. He goes, uh, Brother Joel, can I talk to you a minute? I said, yeah, what's up? He goes, uh, I don't really know how to say this, but uh, why did you tell this person that I was an alcoholic and I needed to get out of bars to, so I'd stop drinking? And I said, huh? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Who told you that? This other pastor told him that. I said, you've been knowing me six months. Have I ever said that about anything like that about anybody? He said, no. I said, we talk regularly. Have you ever felt like I had anything weird going on with us? He said, no. And I said, he told you that? He said, yeah. So the next morning, I go to the gym. He's over on the treadmill. There's a little red emergency stop button on the treadmill. I just pulled it out. Hey, bro, let me ask you something. I said, I heard the weirdest story. I said, this person told me that you personally told them that I said this. Now, listen, he looked at me. He goes, yeah, that's what you said. I said, okay, let me, let me sum this up. There is a real enemy, and his name is Satan. Some people are possessed by Satan, and some people are not. I am the latter. You are the first. You are a liar. You are a liar, all right? So I went back and told the pianist. I said, this is what happened. And he said, well, I'm glad you cleared it up. I don't know why I said it. Now, now on the surface, he heard one part of the story. But until he heard the other witness, he thought that was true. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus is is listening to a partial story. The Jews, the zealots, the religious elite only had the Old Testament. They had part of the story. They had the old witness talking about the New Testament, which is the new witness. And so rather than leave them in the darkness, Jesus decides, I'm going to educate them. Now, Jesus knows the Old Testament because Jesus is the Old Testament. Jesus is the Word. John says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Later, he says, it became flesh, dwelt among us. So he knew the Word. He was the Word. And he knew the Jews knew this, that if you got two witnesses, you can find truth. So Jesus, is, Jesus establishes uh, a mock courtroom. And what he's going to do is call forward some witnesses to prove who he is. Now listen to me, church. If you doubt sometimes the, the authentic nature of Jesus being God, of Jesus being the Savior of the world, of Jesus now being in heaven with God, of Jesus b- building heaven as we speak, of Jesus coming back, I want to help you. Because Jesus wanted to help the Jewish people, and Jesus wants to help us too. And so the title of the message is this, Unmistakable. Jesus is unmistakably, undeniably God in the flesh. And you can plant your feet in it, drive a stake in it, live your life around it, and one day spend eternity in this reality that Jesus is God who came to earth to make a way for me and you to get to heaven. Amen?
It's a lot of work. So first witness Jesus called to the stand, I'll call him witness number one. It's the witness of a special man on the back of your worship guide. I want you to write that down. The witness of a special man. Now he starts simple and he gets deeper and more profound as he goes. Verse 31 says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Jesus says, listen Jewish leaders, you know if I just tell you something, it may or may not be true. So that's not what I'm doing here. I'm going to bring some witnesses to help you know uh, who I am. He says in verse 32, so there's another one who bears witness of me and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. And you Jewish people have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, yet I do not receive testimony from man. I say these things so that you may be saved. Verse 35, John was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. He knows, Jesus knows, that the Jewish leaders had embraced John the Baptist for a season. Now why? Because the Jewish leaders understood Jewish tradition. The Jewish leaders understood the story that about 30 years before, there was a priest who went into the temple. His name was Zechariah. Zechariah had a wife whose name was Elizabeth. They were barren. They could have no children, and they were old. And yet on his appointed day, when Zechariah, the Jewish priest, would go into the temple, on this day, Gabriel, the messenger angel from God, would come to Zechariah, and he would say this, Zechariah, your time has come. You are going to give birth to a son, and he's going to be special in the sight of God. So profound, so confused it left Zechariah that he questioned the, the, that reality and was afraid. And because of it, Gabriel said, because you didn't believe, you're going to be stricken moot. You won't be able to speak until the baby gets here. And then you're going to name his, call his name John. You see, they knew that story. They knew much more. They knew that it wasn't just a supernatural story. It was a supernatural story that fulfilled the Old Testament, which they knew. You see, 400 years before John the Baptist arose, before he was conceived, there was a prophet that pointed to John the Baptist and said there will be a forerunner. All right, he's going to be different. He's going to take a Nazarite vow. He's not going to drink and cut his hair and eat the same food as everybody. He's going to be sanctified, set apart, live different. He won't be consumed by the things that the world says that he should do. And so they knew he was a fulfillment of prophecy. He was born a, 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 a miracle birth of a, of a priest. They knew the whole story. And so he calls him to the stand. Now, he says something odd right here. He says, you guys embraced him for a season. Now, in this moment, you know where John the Baptist was? John the Baptist was in jail waiting to be, for his head to be removed. Ultimately, John the Baptist's head would be cut off, placed on a platter, and paraded through, uh, through, at a party through the palace. Now, Jesus knew. He says, you embraced him for a while. But you stopped embracing him, and the reason is twofold. John told the truth. John told the hard truth. John didn't stop telling the truth. He told the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help him God. He let it all out, and it was too much for them to handle, and so they imprisoned him. Not only that, but John had made a remarkable statement from the river when he saw Jesus come to be baptized. In John chapter 1, verse 29, John sees Jesus walking. Now, he knew Jesus. He was a first cousin of Jesus uh, on his mother's side. And he saw Jesus coming, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God 
who comes to take away the sins of the world. He knew who he was. He proclaimed who he was. And the Jews now, they didn't buy that. They didn't want Jesus to be the Messiah. They wanted a, they wanted a Messiah that would come and rule and reign and conquer Rome. And it wasn't that time yet. He'll do that when he comes the second time. So Jesus says, my first witness is John the Baptist, who you should believe because you once believed, but I know that's not enough. So he knows that he needs two witnesses. He goes to witness number two. Witness number two is the witness of supernatural miracles. He says in verse 36, I know John is good, but I know you ain't buying that just yet. So he says, I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Now listen, maybe sometimes today, some of you are doubting in your relationship with God, and you doubt who Jesus is. And so you've got John the Baptist. You can say, man, that was pretty incredible that John the Baptist knew he was from God, and he was a prophet and a fulfillment of prophecy. That was pretty cool. But I want you to know, too, he authenticated his uh, divinity by the miracles he performed. And so now witness number two, he says, guys, you guys seek signs and wonders. It's who you are. You all love the, you love the big stuff. You love the show. Okay, you love for me to do stuff. Well, let me just kind of recap some of the stuff that, I could, that I've done that nobody on the planet has ever done. Nobody has ever had these abilities. Nobody has ever been able to do this. He says, let me, let me just recount them. Okay, I got the one where I turned the water into wine. You remember that one? We were at the party. They ran out of beverage. I sent my boys down to scoop up some water. By the time they got to the party, it's already turned to wine. That was pretty cool, wouldn't you think? He, they remember that. What about this one? What about the uh, a royal official's son who came to me asking for his son to be healed and his son was about to die and I healed him from a distance? <laughs> I didn't even have to go down there. I just thought it and he was healed. That's pretty cool, don't you think? Okay. Uh, what about uh, the guy 38 years on a mat? No legs, no strength, no ability to walk. And, and, I, I, and I just told him, I know it was on a Sabbath, y'all hated that, but I told him just get up and walk and he did. Pretty cool, huh? He could have went on and on because recorded in the Gospels, the Bible says, are only some of the works of Jesus because there's too many to record. He, he could have went on and he, said, he could have said, you know, what about the time that, uh, that I reached into the sea and commanded a fish to come so I could open his mouth and pull the money out to pay the taxes? <laughs> That's kind of cool. Okay. Uh, what about when I walked on the water? Skippy de doo you, you ever seen anybody do that? I did that. Okay. Uh, what about when I told the storm, when I commanded nature, hey, let's calm it down. That, that's kind of cool. Anybody ever done that? No. I got a list. I can give you a whole list of supernatural works that authenticate who I am. And so he lists, he, he tells them supernatural miracles is witness number two. And he knows from the Old Testament, all he needs is two. And he's given them. They still don't believe. Because listen, sometimes religious people are the hardest to reach. Sometimes people in the church, church people raised in church, taught about Jesus, taught the Bible stories, going to church, learning disciplines. They live a religious life of nominal Christianity where we claim Christian, we profess Christianity without possessing Christianity. We're not fully, truly followers of Jesus. We just kind of know about God but deny the power of therein. So he goes further. He says, okay, witness number three. I'm not going to stop right there because you're not convinced. I'm going to witness number three, which are the statements from the father's mouth. The statements from the father's mouth. He, he says in verse 37, and the father, 
himself who sent me has testified of me. And you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, nor do you have his word residing in you because you do not believe the one whom he sent. You, 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 don't, you don't believe it. You, you don't believe it. And, and so the father, he says, he, he spoke about me. When did he speak about me? He spoke about Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, verse 17. Here's the story. Jesus is, is inaugurating his ministry. He's 30 years old. He's lived a, a life of 30 years. He's been perfect, never sinned, okay? And when he's 30 years old, he's walking along the Jordan, and he sees his cousin John the Baptist. And he goes to him, and he says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John says, I, you need to baptize me. I can't do that. I'm not even worthy to loose your sandal. Jesus said, it's right. It's fitting. I want you to baptize me. The Bible says that John took Jesus, and he baptized him in the water, raised him up. And the Bible says one of the few times where you have the, the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, one of the few times you find them together. You find them in creation. You find them here. You find them in Revelation. Not a lot, but when it shows up, it's significant. Jesus, the Son, God, rises from the water. God, the Father God, speaks as the heavens open up, and God speaks and says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and he was led straightway to the mountain to be tempted. Now, here's what's amazing about it. Jesus says, the Father, God who, who gave you the Old Testament, the one that you claim to be children of, he spoke from heaven, and you heard him. Now, let me clear something up. Sometimes I, I make a comment, you know, God just spoke to me. He, he, he doesn't speak audibly to me. I had a young man in church who I love and value greatly. He said to me several, a few months ago, he says, I think God spoke audibly to me. I said, he did? Well, that's pretty cool. When did he do it? He said, it's during the worship set. And this was before Caleb led over when it was loud. And I said, you heard it during the worship? I can't hear anything during worship. And he said, yeah, it was loud. I said, did anybody else hear it? He said, well, I don't know. I said, well, if it was so loud, it, it, it penetrated even the, the, the volume of music. That's pretty loud. Don't you think somebody else would have heard it? Well, I didn't really think about that. And I said, what if this was true? What if when God speaks to you, it's louder than audibly? What if he speaks into the depth of your soul, pushes through the noise, and speaks to you individually? He said, well, never really thought about that. I said, no, I didn't either until I thought about it. <laughs> that went right over your head right there. Okay? <laughs> went right over my head too. It's okay. So here's, here's what I mean by that. When God speaks to me, you, you wouldn't hear it. You might hear me testify of it, but he speaks through the Spirit into the core of my being. And it's better than audible. Let me tell you why. I, I have hearing a hearing disorder, okay? I, I'm... I went to uh, an audiologist several years ago, and they did this extensive test. <laughs> and he came in and he said, uh, Mr. Dew, I've got some questions for you. Have you been around like industrial noises a lot? Well, yes, I have. Have you been around like construction noises? Well, yes, I have. I said, why do you ask? He said, because there's a decibel range in your hearing that's almost gone. And he said, ironically, it's the same decibel range as a woman's voice. <laughs> I said, can I get that in writing? So I told Kendra, I said, hello. <laughs> I, if it's not selective hearing, I'm deaf. So at our house, it's like old people. Kendra says, Joel. I say, what? And then she reverts back to the old way. I got nothing on that. You know, I don't know why that is. And I know that doesn't happen in anybody else's house. But it, when you get old, it'll happen in your house. Okay. 
So, so here's what God does. I have a hearing disorder. And if God was speaking audibly, I'd get some of the words. I'd have it all messed up. I'd share. Let me tell you what God said. He said, I didn't say that. You're deaf. You can't hear nothing. Okay? But no. He speaks down into the core of my being. And he, and he engraves it on my soul. It, it, it's why when I preach, there's things about God's Word I do not know and I cannot comprehend. And there's other things that He has engraved it in me. And it's there. And I know it's true. It's spoken in His Word and it's engraved in my heart. And so He says, listen, you may not believe in John the Baptist. You may not be impressed by the miracles I do. But for crying out loud, the God of creation has spoken from heaven. That should be enough. But then he knew that wouldn't be enough either. So he calls a fourth witness. Number four, he says, the wit is the witness of the scriptures of Moses. And let me pause right here before I get to that one. I got to tell you a funny story. I love funny stories. I love them because they're real and you don't have to look for it. I was in Africa with um, Keith and Tanya, and, and it was an amazing trip. I'll tell you a little bit about it in a few minutes. But there was one thing, when, Jesus, when I thought about it, when Jesus was baptized, how civilized and, and, and perfect that must have been. That John the Baptist had baptized literally thousands of people that he would ultimately give to Jesus. And Jesus comes along and he dips him in the water and he rises up and there's Jesus and God speaking, the Holy Spirit. How perfect that was. It don't always work out perfect like that. So we were in Africa and sometimes they have a drought seasons and, 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 and they have no water. So when somebody comes to the Lord and you say, hey, now you need to be baptized, it's like, ain't got, we don't have any water. It's kind of hard to be baptized when there's no pool of water. So Keith and Tanya bought a, a, a portable tub to put water in. And they had water. And so uh, I went in to teach, to do some pastoral training for a couple hours. And, and we had told them we we're going to do some baptism. And so while we were in there, they filled up the tub. So we go out there. Now there's, there's people who have been saved for a while. And they've never been baptized. They wanted to be baptized. And this is how it should be. When you get saved, you should want to be baptized. You, you, you should desire and, and, and long for following the first commandment he's given us as believers, and that is to be baptized. You should want to get in the water to be like Jesus. Okay, We kind of miss that sometimes, even in the Baptist church. All right, This woman didn't miss the, mem the memo. Okay, She's ready to be baptized. So in that society, in that culture, they're very patriarchal. I probably said that wrong. It's okay. I said a lot of things wrong. It means the older people have a more prominent position. So there's an older preacher, pastor there, who's going to take care of the baptism. Honestly, I don't know if he's ever baptized anybody or not. We were going to try to help him get some, you know, make sure it was happening. And while we're talking about how we're going to do it, she's coming in the water. Shoes on, clothes on. I'm, I'm getting baptized. She climbed over the edge and is get diving headfirst in the water. That's, that's significant. They don't have water. They don't swim. They have a fear of water. This woman didn't care. She's getting baptized. Why? Who knows, man? Somebody might puncture the thing. We lose our water, and this is my chance. So she's diving in the water. And I'm like, hey, hold on. Let's get her, you know, let's, let's, let's figure this out. Let's get it, you know, let's make it official. You know, get her civilized. And so we grab the woman. She's looking around. And, 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 and the senior guy, the older pastor, he's talking, getting ready to pray. She ain't waiting. She starts going down face first in the water. Right in the middle of him saying his little incantation or whatever he was saying, because I don't know what he's saying. And he looked down. She's halfway under. He just put his hand on her head and just bloosh. And, and, and my heart starts to smile. I'm thinking, that's baptism right there. Okay? It gets worse. She comes up. She's gasping for air. And as if she didn't get enough, he scooped up a handful, splashed her right in the face. It's like extra credit baptism. All right? 
I laughed out loud. I could not help myself. I wasn't laughing at her. I was laughing at the whole thing. She was baptized, and you know what everybody else did? Yeah! They're all shouting. I'm like, yeah! <laughs> yeah! All right? So we, we baptized others after that, and some of them faced first. Some of them went backwards. I mean, it was, it was a thing. All right? So baptism is important. If you hadn't been baptized, you need to be baptized. All right? Now let's move to witness number four. Witness number four is the scriptures of Moses. It says in verse 45 of chapter 5, it says, Do not suppose that I will accuse you before the Father. Jesus, again, speaking to the Jewish leaders, he says, The, the one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have placed your faith. If you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what Moses wrote, how will you believe my words? Now, here's what he's doing. He's touching a nerve with the Jewish leaders. I want you to understand something about the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. As a Jewish boy, they would memorize the Pentateuch. It's all I can do to remember the word Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses. They would memorize all five of those books. I'd hate to embarrass you and say, somebody stand up and give me ten good verses without looking at your Bible. Okay? It's like, huh? You know? I mean, I got John 3.16. I got the Jesus wept one. That's all. All right? He knew they understood Moses. He knew they understood the writings of Moses. So, so he touches a nerve. He says, I want you to know that the one that you embrace as your father, as your leader, everything Moses ever said was pointing to me. They weren't just, not, they weren't just uh, uh, words on a page. They're, point, they're describing me from Genesis uh, 3 when, when God speaks to Moses and Moses writes that God said, uh, from your seed will come one who will, uh, uh, Satan will bruise his uh, heel, but he will crush his head. A prophecy in Genesis about Jesus coming. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter where you read in the Bible, whether you read in Genesis, whether you read in uh, Obadiah, whether you read in Amos or Jonah or, or, or Malachi, whether you go to the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians or Revelation, it doesn't matter where you read. Every book of the 66 books is written pointing to Jesus. And so if you read your Bible and you read a book and you say, well, I didn't really get Jesus in that, it's your fault, okay, because he's in there. Jesus said, uh, John said in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. 14 says he became flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus, the Bible is Jesus on paper. And so he points to that. He says, you guys need to understand, but there was a problem. There's a lot of people who have Bible knowledge without Bible wisdom. In the New Testament, it refers to the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And, and the Jewish people, the scholars, the elite, they understood the letter of the law. They memorized the letter of the law. But the letter of the law will beat you up. But the spirit of the law will build you up. There's a big difference. See, when we read the Bible, we feel dejected and beat up and down. And it, 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 we, we're not getting the whole story. It may convict us, it may challenge us, but the, at the end of it, it should build us up and help us know more how we can be pleasing to God. And so Jesus says, all that was written was pointing to me. So I was thinking about this while I was in Africa, uh, lying in a bed, sweating. 
because they turn the generators off at about 1030. Okay? And you can't open the doors and the windows because there's monkeys out there. And the monkeys want to come in your room and they know how to operate doorknobs. And they want to come and see if you got any cookies or Coke. <laughs> I ain't making this up. So you don't want any monkeys. You don't want to wake up monkeys in the room. So you seal everything off. The fan goes off. The lights go out. And you sweat. And it's so dark. You do this. I did this about a thousand times. Just to see if my eyes would ever adjust to darkness. This. You do this. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing there. It just does not exist. That's where I'm laying. All right. And I started thinking about in the Old Testament where Jesus shows up. It's called Christophany when Jesus the Christ shows up in some form or type in the Old Testament. Jesus is telling the Jews, you've read the book, the Old Testament. I'm in there. It's, it, it, it's, it's me. I'm, I'm the one. Here's, here's some examples. Jacob wrestled with somebody who dislocated his hip. That would be Jesus. Moses spoke with a burning bush who I believe was Jesus because he said, I am. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cast into a furnace, but when they looked in there, there's a fourth man walking around. That would be Jesus. Isaiah saw the Lord lifted up in the temple, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. That would be Jesus. The priests in the Old Testament, they're designed to be a type of Jesus. The prophets in the Old Testament proclaimed the word that Jesus would fulfill, all about Jesus. The kings in the Old Testament were a type or an example of the king of kings, who is Jesus. In the Old Testament, there were shepherds. Jesus is the good shepherd. There's judges in the Old Testament. Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Sacrifices in the Old Testament are incomplete until Jesus fulfills the sacrificial system on the cross. Adam was the first father and the head of a race. Jesus is the last father and head of the church. Job was a righteous man, attacked by the enemy, failed by friends, suffered, demonstrated his love, completely restored a picture of Jesus. David was a shepherd who became a king. Jesus. Jonah, dead three days in the belly of a great fish. He merges alive with a salvation story. Jesus. Boaz had affection for Ruth. Pays for her to redeem her. Jesus. Nehemiah built Jerusalem as a place for God's people. Jesus right now is building a place for his children. Heaven. Jesus. Hosea loves unfaithful Gomer, his wife. He purchased her out of unfaithfulness. Jesus. Jesus is the Bible in fulfillment. And he tells the religious elite, listen, you don't, you don't even have to like the crazy uh, prophet John the Baptist. I know he was a woolly beast. I know he was uncivilized. You don't, so we're going to discredit him. You don't even have to embrace my miracles because honestly, I know I did some of them on Saturday. Shame on me. You really don't even have to. Believe that God spoke from heaven, authenticating who I am. But Moses is one that you all relate to. The Old Testament you know. And the Old Testament points to me. So, I'm in Africa. And I'm thinking. I had this message outlined together. And I thought, God, that's, that's cool. I love that. How do I finish that message? How do I make that personal for you and for me? And in the darkness of that hot room, that non-audible, engraved-in-the-soul voice said, that's not the last of the witness. You're the last of the witnesses. And so point number five, Jesus says, I call <clears throat> the witness of someone like me. 
Say that with me, someone like me. Say it again, someone like me. The God of creation has called you and given you a place of authority alongside John the Baptist, the miracles of Jesus, the voice of the Father from heaven, and the writings of Moses and all of the Old Testament. God has called you and me to be the fifth witness and he values you as much as he does the four that he shared with the Jewish community you say well Joel you you may be <clears throat> I think you're stretching that a little bit okay let me finish Matthew 28 verse 18 says then Jesus came to them his disciples his apostles he said all authority in heaven <clears throat> and on earth has been given to me therefore he said now I'm gonna tell you what I want you to do go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. He says, now you're witnesses. I want you to go here and there. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them. I want you to teach them. And he says, and you will never be alone. I will be with you to the very end of the age. In Acts chapter 1, he emphasizes it again right before he's ascended into heaven. In verse 6, it says, that, so then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? See, they're still worried about physical stuff. And verse 7, it said, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be, tell your neighbor, he's talking to you. Some of y'all didn't say it. Say it again. He's talking to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, you'll be my witnesses right where you are, expanded to the next level and to all the world. Isn't that cool? He's I don't get this one. I don't get this one. I, I, got, I got the first four. Those are cool. Those are all powerful stuff. But the fifth one kind of rocks my soul. That the God of the universe would choose to use somebody like me to be a witness. Oh, boy. Of somebody like him. I didn't say that in the early service. That was good. That God would choose somebody like me to witness about somebody like him. I don't get that. Because if there's somebody in here who should not be a good witness, if there's somebody in here who has messed up their witness, I'm the guy. And yet he chooses to pick us up where we are and say, I, I can still use you if you'll let me. And we surrender to that. We lean into that. And just like the early church, he whispers his Holy Spirit on us. And he polishes us up. And he wraps us in grace. And he says, now. You take that mess of a life that you were, now you can be my witness. That's so good. 
You see, if we think I got it all together because of my religion, I got it figured out, I don't make mistakes, I'm past all that, he, don't, he can't use that. What he can use is a testimony that says, I was a mess, and he made a message out of it, and that's why I'm here to tell you. Now, now what does that look like? What does that look like? I'm going to finish. I'm fl- finishing right here, I promise. <clears throat> Every week I preach, and other preachers know you preach as a dying man to burning people. You just, you just in your mind, you just think everybody in here is lost. And I know you're not, because I know some of you are. You may not know it, but some of you probably are. It's just a reality. And so a preacher preaches if he's, if he's serious about it in hopes that if there's a lost person anywhere, man, they hear the gospel like the preacher did, like I did. And it just reaches in and says, hey, I, man, I'm t- I want you just like you are. I want, I want to save you. I want you to walk with me on a journey, man. And, and you, you pray, you hope, you plead, you preach. So somebody will get that for the very first time. And often, no, no fruit. And so for a preacher, it kind of gets a little bit hard. And I had to go to the school of hard knocks with Jesus and he because I was kind of disappointed and what am I doing wrong, Lord? You know, nobody's getting saved. And, and the Lord was like, seriously? Why are you, I don't hold you responsible for the fruit. I hold you responsible for just preaching. You couldn't save you. It took me to save you and you can't save them. Your preaching won't save them. Your, your personality won't save them. I'll save them. You just leave that to me. <laughs> and so I got to wash my hands and say, okay, that sounds good. All right. But then sometimes people get saved. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And sometimes you find yourself in a foreign land. Africa. Kenya. Okay. And you get over there and you do the same thing you do at the church at Sturkey Hills and in Tennessee. You just... Love people, love God, love others, and you're willing to tell people about Jesus, help people with the church. And we, we went over there, Keith and Tanya and I, and, and we had our translators with us, and, and we just go out to villages, and they don't know how to read for the most part. So you open up a story cloth, I wish I would have brought mine, and you hold it up, and it, it's pictures uh, tracking God's word from creation to Jesus. And then before you finish telling the story, about God reaching down to save us. These people, Maasai, uh, Turkana, these African tribes, before you even finish asking them if they want to be saved, hey, hey, they're up, both hands up, uh, I'm diving in. And you're like, you are? It ain't like this in the States. Everybody wants to go to hell in the States. Nobody wants to get saved. And I'm wondering, what's the difference? What's the difference? Why would the three of us with some interpreters or translators go into several villages, share the story cloth and the good gospel of Jesus? Listen to this. And over 500 people receive it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good time to clap. What's up with that? Here's what's up with that. These people are spiritual people because their life is not clouded confused and deluded by the things of this world for the most part they live in small mud houses have no running water no electricity there might be half a dozen in a little 10 by 12 mud house no air condition I think I mentioned that and they go out every day and they walk among the elephants and the giraffes 
and the impalas and the mambas and the crocodiles and the hippos. And I could tell you more and more because I got pictures of them right here. They walk among that. And they look at the Kenyan mountain range extending up into the clouds. And when the sky is clear at night and there's no light pollution, they see the brilliance of God's glory painted in heaven. And they know instinctively, as Romans tells us, that all are without excuse because the invisible nature of God is revealed through the visible things of creation. And they see and they sense that. And they realize there's something out there that's bigger than I am. And then along comes three old goofy mazungus. That's what we are, white people. Walk into their little village so different and so unique that the kids want to lick you to see what you taste like. They want to rub you. One little boy rubbed my hand and he went like this. He looked to see if it came off. They want to rub your hair. Okay? Stick your finger up your nose. You know, they're so amazed. And so these Mazungus roll in, just ignorant as we are, sharing the beautiful story of God and how he wanted to rescue us through Jesus' son. And it's almost as if in their unclouded, unconfused, unpolitically correct, unimpeachment inquiry, news saturated life. Okay, it's almost when the Mazungus share the story, they're like, Eureka? That's the exclamation point on the truth and the reality that I already knew was there. And so you share it and they say, yeah, I'm in. I'm in by the hundreds. And it's beautiful. Now, I tell you, amen. Now, I tell you that story because I want you to know something. You don't have to go to Africa to witness. In fact, the greatest witness abroad is a great witness at home. You start where you are in Judea and allow God to use you and your witness where you are, and then He'll take you places. And you'll do the same thing, and he'll just pour fruit out on you. And it's beautiful. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe today, there are those of you in here who hear me talk about Jesus and his incredible gift. And his incredible story. And you hear it. But you've never experienced it. Maybe you are one of those who profess Christianity. Without possessing Christianity. I want you to know that this could be your day. To experience Jesus. And you may be sitting in your seat today. And maybe for the first time. Maybe you didn't see it coming. But the God of the universe has reached down and penetrated your confused world, touched you in the core of your being and said, hey, this is for you. Jesus is for you. If you will confess your sin and repent and simply receive my grace gift, I will walk with you through all of eternity and I'll make your life more than you ever thought possible. Maybe you're here today and you're already a believer. But you simply haven't been a very good witness. Maybe your life doesn't demonstrate the glory of God. 
maybe your choices kind of are the antithesis of the greatness of God. And maybe this is the day that you would say in your heart, that's me, but I don't want it to be that way. So what I want to do in just a second when we stand to sing, I want you to know the altar is open. And this is not a sacred place, but it's a special place. It's a place where you can come and simply bow, making a statement, a public statement to the church and to God and to the enemy who's held you back so long. And you say, it's in this moment, God, I drive a stake in the ground. And from this place, I'm tethered to this new reality of who you want me to be. And when I leave this place, my life will be different. And my testimony and my witness will be real. Because, God, I believe it's true. And there is no longer any doubt within me. And I want to be used according to your plan and your purpose for my life. And so let this be the marker on my timeline of of when you would use me in a new way. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth that's found in it. Thank you for the challenge and the invitation to a new walk with you and a stronger witness for you. God, I thank you for our people. I pray right now that whatever you've spoken to their heart, that they will not leave it lying there, but they will respond to it. And you would receive the glory for the greatness that you are patient and you continue in loving kindness in your desire to take us to a different place.